Take your Bibles this afternoon, turn to number, uh, Genesis 46. Genesis 46. This afternoon we want to continue our study of the book of Genesis and look at a family reunion. I don't know about you, but uh, family reunions... Uh, uh, have often been uh, very enjoyable times. Uh, I know that not all family reunions are that way. Sometimes uh, people call them family rebellions, but uh, 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 sometimes the older we get, the less we are able to get together with uh, uh, families, extended families. Uh, sometimes our family units kind of change uh, when I used to get together with my uncles and aunts and cousins and so forth, now I don't, uh, uh, some of them have passed on off the scene and some of are so far away we never see each other. Seems like the only time you see, see them is possibly at a funeral. But uh, uh, then uh, you have your own family and uh, of course you get together with your own children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren and so forth often. But here we have a family reunion in uh, Genesis 46, and we'll get into, get into chapter 47 as well. Um, uh, we're looking at the life of Joseph, and in chapter 46, we come to what we uh, often come to in these Old Testament books, and that is a genealogy. Uh, genealogy in verses 8 through 27 of uh, chapter 46. And often we ask, well, what, what good are these verses in our study of Genesis? Uh, you may or may not uh, care to know who all your ancestors are, uh, but the, you know they have these uh, programs these days where you can uh, build your family tree and so forth, and you can look back into all kinds of records and so forth. Uh, but uh, the Lord wanted us to know the family of Joseph, and it's important because it is the genealogy that will lead to Jesus Christ and will be followed throughout the rest of the Bible. Uh, from Jacob, there are 66 people who came with him from Canaan into Egypt. And then with Joseph already in Egypt uh, and his family, that makes 70 people in the household of Jacob. And you'll notice here that each son of Jacob and his offspring are listed by name. Uh, beginning in verses 8 and going down through verse 27. Uh, why are these lists of names given to us in the Scripture? Doesn't God have more important information to give it to us? Well, listen, there's nothing more important than our Lord Jesus Christ. And really, this is the genealogy that leads to Him. Uh, we will find some of these names in the gene genealogy of the first, in the first chapter of Matthew at the beginning of the New Testament. And again, we'll find some of the names in the genealogy given to us in the book of Luke. Uh, these lists of names are important, at least for that reason. And I remind you of how important it is to compare Scripture with Scripture. Now, there's another reason. I think it's a very personal reason, and that is, have you heard of the Lamb's Book of Life? Uh, the question is, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Uh, just as you got into the line of Adam, and all are in that line, you get into the line of Christ by birth. 
And in the case of the Lamb's Book of Life, you get there by the new birth, which comes about by receiving Christ as your personal Savior. And when you do that, you become a child of God. How important are you? Well, we might think, uh, you know, I'm not really that important. That's probably true. But God thinks you're important. In fact, He has numbered the very hairs of your head. At least some of you, when you had hair. Uh, He knows how many hair you have on your head. Or had. You lose some, He keeps track of that. Uh, Some grows back, He keeps track of that too. Uh, See, He knows you better than you know yourself. And uh, He knows you and loves you more than your mother did. Now, I don't think my mom counted the hairs on my head, but God did, and God knows each one of us personally. Now, in Jacob's genealogy, there are names that mean nothing to me. Sometimes when I watch the news, I might see a great crowd of people, whether they're watching a ball game or they're rioting in the streets of some large city. And if it's maybe a mob, they may be dirty, they may be in need of a bath, but as I look at them, it's good to be reminded that God knows each one of them. You know, you take a look at a big crowd of people. You say, I don't know most, I don't know any of those people. Not that I know of. I mean, there might be somebody I know there at that ball game, or there might be somebody out there throwing uh, fireballs at the police or something, but I doubt it. I don't know any of them, but God does, and God loves each one of them. Uh, They're not thinking of him, but each one is precious in God's sight, and Christ died for every one of those people. Now listen, I heard the other day that it won't be long until the population of the world is going to be approaching 9 billion people. And each one of those people, those nine billion people, are going to be important to God. We may not be interested in many of the names listed here in our text, but God is, and He delighted in putting their names down because these were His children. And again, I ask you, is your name written down in the Lamb's book of life? Now, as you move through the book of Genesis, you're confronted with some of the horrors of family life. You know, some families don't have a very good reputation. And I would say, as we look in the book of Genesis, many of these families don't really have a very good reputation. Lamech, who lived before the flood, was guilty of polygamy. Ham mocked the nakedness of his father after the flood. Abram engages in adulterous affair with Hagar. Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed because of homosexuality. Lot commits incest with his daughters. Abraham tempts Abimelech to commit adultery with Sarah. Isaac plays favorites with his sons, choosing Esau over Jacob. And Jacob has 13 children by four different women. Judah commits incest with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And so by the time we walk out of this book, which will be chapter 50, we will have seen nearly every evil that can take place in a family. And these two chapters here, chapters 46 and 47, are really rare 
but they're a refreshing exception to all the horrors that you see through Genesis. Now, as we learned a long time ago, when we began this study, Joseph's family was very dysfunctional. That's the word we'd use today, right? We'd say, we'd have to describe them as dysfunctional. There was rampant sin, there was open hatred, there was favoritism, there was wickedness of every kind, but these chapters teach us that there's hope for the home. There's a future for the family. And these verses remind us there is hope for the family. They teach us that there is hope for your family. And so we want to move through this, this passage and see what the Lord has to say for us as a church and also for us as families. Notice, first of all, a blessed family. Now again, it's, as I said in verses 8 through 27, these verses talk about people who came down into Egypt. Now this isn't a photograph of, of Jacob and his family, but there are almost 70 people there. That's a pretty good-sized family, wouldn't you say? But if I was to think about what they might have looked like, uh, this might have been a, a good representation of them. But uh, these verses talk about the people who came down from Egypt with Jacob to meet Joseph, and there are, some, I believe, some important lessons here that we don't want to miss. First of all, there's their number. In verse 26, it says, All the souls that came with J Jacob into Egypt, which were out of his loins, came out of his loins, beside Jacob's sons' wives, all the souls were threescore and six. Now when Jacob was forced to leave home many years earlier, the prospects for his future did not look at all bright. He had been forced to leave his home under a cloud of shame after having deceived his father. He set out then for his uncle's house to find a wife. And he did find a wife. In fact, he didn't find just one. He found two. Uh, he would spend 20-some years being deceived by his uncle Laban. And his family would grow and his wealth would increase. But still there was trouble in his home and in his family. We could say his children were out of control. There was discord between his wives. It must have seemed as though life would always be hard and unsettled and difficult for Jacob and his family. But God had a plan. And Jacob met God one night when he was on his way to his uncle's house. We read about it in Genesis 28. He had another encounter with God on the way back to Bethel in Genesis 32. And these two encounters with the Almighty God changed Lake Jacob's life forever. And God is able to do that. He's able to change your life forever. God took a solitary man by the name of Jacob and brought him through, uh, through him the nation of Israel in what appeared to be a family uh, riddled and ruined by dysfunction and tragedy actually is a picture of God's grace in the making. Now who would have thought that a fugitive would lead a family of 70 into Egypt? Well, it was the work of God. Who would have guessed that 400 years later Moses would, Moses would leave 2 million or more out of Egypt? Again, it was the work of God. Who would have imagined from this little band that included Jacob, his 12 sons, one daughter, 52 grandchildren, four great-grandsons, 
would one day come the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would give his life a ransom to redeem his people from the slavery of their sins. It's incredible, but it's an amazing work of Almighty God. Now consider your own family. It may appear that sometimes things are out of control in the lives of those you love and you care for. But I would remind you that God has a plan. Anyone looking at Jacob's family said, what's the use? These people are hopeless. The truth is, God was working all the time and he's working in your family as well. So what am I saying? Keep praying for them. Keep walking right in front of them. Keep trusting the Lord to do the right thing. And he will. He has a plan. And I'm so thankful for that this afternoon. So we know their number. But also we notice their natures. Verses 10 and 11, it says, And the sons of Simeon, Jemiel, and Jamin, and Ohad, and Jachin, and Zohar, and Shaw, the son of Canaanite, Canaanitish woman, and the sons of Levi, Gershon, Gohath, and Merarah. These people might have been part of God's eternal plan, but they were not perfect. In fact, they're a long way from it. Still, there's a glimpse of God's grace here. In this list of names, there's a fact or two that we need to take note of, I believe. In verse 10, we're given the names of Simeon's, two, or the names of Simeon's sons. And the last phrase tells us that one of his sons was born of a Canaanitish woman. Now the Canaanites were an accursed people and marriage to them had been forbidden. But apparently someone went against God's plan. And you look at verse 12 and it says, And the sons of Judah, Ur and Onan and Shelan and Perez and Zerah and Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the son of Perez and Hazon and Hamel this verse lists the offspring of Judah and his first three sons, Ur, Honan, and Shelah, were by his wife who was also a Canaanite. He didn't obey God's direction to not marry the Canaanite women. But there's no mention of this sin in his life. Why? Because when he stood before Joseph, he made a full confession and as a result, he was pardoned. He was forgiven by God. We, see that, we saw that back in Genesis 44. Simeon had continued in his sin, but never repented, and his sin is remembered. God has put away the sin of Judah, remembered it no more. That is a blessing. It teaches us that when confession is made, sin is forgiven, and when sin is forgiven, sin is forever forgotten. The Bible is abundantly clear on that point. But then thirdly, notice we know their names. Notice it says in verse 26, all the souls. Now they weren't just names, but they were people with a soul. And as I read these verses, I'm reminded the Lord knew every detail, every connection with the family of Jacob. He knew who belonged to whom and he knows who, uh, who was where. God saw, it every, saw that every single thing uh, that took place, and he took note of it all. He knew the details of Jacob's family. He knew every individual, every sin, every problem, every fear, every worry. 
And you know what? He knows everything about your family, too. He knows every secret you're trying to hide. He knows every uh, thing that has been hidden from the eyes of others. He knows where all the skeletons are hidden. God knows. He knows all about the needs of your family. He knows every lost soul. He knows everyone that's turned away from Him and His ways. He knows every problem, every worry, every need, every valley, every failure, every success. He knows the pain in your heart. He knows the joy in your soul. He knows and He cares. You would be well served to make your family a constant object of prayer before the Father's throne. He knows and He's working. He may not, uh, it may not appear to be the case, but he's busy working in the hearts and lives of those you love. Put them into his hands and look to him to work your family's needs. So we have a blessed family here. Secondly, we have a beloved father. A beloved father. Now this passage here deals with a family, but it also focuses in on Joseph's relationship with his father, the way he treated Jacob reveals about much about Joseph's character. These verses also have something to say to us about our relationship to those who grow old around us. The way we treat them is a window into our own character. Notice here that Joseph gave him attention. Gave him attention. In verse 28 it says, And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen, and Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel his father to Goshen and presented himself unto him, and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Now when Joseph was younger, you remember he was the apple of his father's eye. Jacob favored Joseph above all of his sons, and he picked up, uh, had picked him up to, uh, or picked him to be the head of, of the family after his death, he signified this choice by giving that coat of many colors. And that coat identified Joseph as the head of the family, told his brothers that he was their ruler. And of course, that coat caused trouble in the family. And it's a clear statement, though, of his father's love for his son. But now the tables are turned. Joseph is in a place of power, and Jacob has grown older. Joseph finds himself in a position having to provide for his father. So Joseph goes out to meet Jacob. And he does this to ensure that all of Jacob's needs are met. Now if we live long enough, and our parents live long enough, some of us have already had our parents die and they're gone, but we'll find ourselves in that position. We found ourselves in that position sometimes caring for our Parents, and maybe you have as well. The columnist Irma Bombach wrote about that. She told of a day when she and her elderly mother were driving down the road when someone pulled out in front of them, and her first reaction was to throw her arm to keep her mom from hitting the dash. As she did so, she, as she did so, she suddenly remembered all the times when her mother had done the same thing for her when she was a little girl. The, door, the roles had been reversed in their relationship. And so it is many times, young people, when your parents get older, it's your responsibility to take care of them. Don't forget that. 
Here, Joseph takes care of Jacob. He sees to it that his needs are met. Joseph is a good example for all children to to follow. So he gave him attention. Secondly, he gave him affection. Verses 29 and 30, we'll see Joseph saw Jacob for the first time in over 20 years, and he could not contain his emotions, made no effort to hide his love for his father, and here it is, the prime minister of Egypt, and he's weeping like a little child, and he hugs his father. What a scene that must have been. And this is the way it should be around those we love. I don't think we should be ashamed to display our love and affection for our families. I know some folks are from the old school, and they're taught you just don't do that. You never display affection in public. You don't tell a child that you love them. You don't kiss them. You don't hug them. When our kids were younger or getting into the teen years, they probably don't like that anyway, in public especially. But you know what? They need to know that you love them. They need to hear people who are closest to them say, I love you. One day your children are going to be gone. If you've got children at home, and some of you who have children who've grown and gone on, I trust when you talk to them on the phone or on the on the internet or whatever, however you talk to them, that you let them know that you love them. They need the hugs and the love every day of their life. And so that's what we see here in Joseph giving affection for his father. But he also gave him acceptance. He gave him acceptance. As we read down through chapter 46, beginning in verse 31, It says, And Joseph said unto his brethren and to his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, My brethren and my father's house, which are in the land of Canaan, are come unto me, and the men are shepherds, for their trade hath hath been to feed cattle. But they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass that when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, What is your occupation that ye say... Thy servant's trade hath been about cattle from our youth, and even until now, both we and also our fathers, that we may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination of the Egyptians. You go into chapter 47, and you see in verse 1, it says, Then Joseph came and told Pharaoh, and said, My father and my brethren and their flocks and their herds, and all that they have are come out of the land of Canaan. Behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took some of his brethren, even five men, and presented them unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto his brethren, What is your occupation? And they said unto Pharaoh, Thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. They said moreover unto Pharaoh, For to sojourn in the land are we to come. For thy servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now therefore we pray you, pray thee, let thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are come unto thee, and the land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land make make thy father and brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen let them dwell. And if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. And Joseph brought in Jacob his father and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are an hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. 
and have not attained until the days of the years of, my, of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. Joseph wants to present his family and his father to Pharaoh. He knows the Egyptians despise shepherds and they consider them unclean and worthless. But you know, much like some people view those that have a different color of skin to some like some people who see who come from a different strata of society, Joseph knows how the Egyptians feel and he's not ashamed of his father. He brings him in and he presents him to Pharaoh. And again, you can imagine this scene. Pharaoh with all the trappings of royalty, the crown, the robes, the servants, the wealth. And then there's Jacob, dressed in the humble robes of a shepherd. He's little, he had little of this world's wealth and none of its power, but Genesis 47, verse 7 says, he blessed Pharaoh. Jacob may have been weak in the eyes of the world, but he was powerful in the eyes of God. Pharaoh was merely an earthly king, while Jacob was a child of God. Pharaoh was an earthly prince, but Jacob was a prince of God. Jacob, or Joseph, knew that his father was a man of God. He was, he was glad for his father. Someone has said, you can choose your friends, but you're stuck with your family. And that's true. I suppose there are times when people get embarrassed by their families. I'm sure that's never happened to your family, huh? But we need to learn to accept them as they are. We need to love them for who they are. And if your family's saved, you're especially blessed. Don't ever be ashamed of those people in your family who love Jesus. You ought to thank God that he's given you some people in your life who love him, want to serve him. But then fourthly, he gave him acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. In verse 11, it says, And Joseph placed his father and his brethren and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land and the land of Ramesses as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph nourished his father and his brethren and all the father's household with bread according to their families. Remember, when Joseph was small, his father had provided for his needs. Now Jacob is in a position where he needs to be cared for and he acknowledges his responsibility to take care of his father. That is, Joseph does. He rises to the challenge. Settles his family in Goshen, one of the most fertile areas of Egypt. And he saw to it that his father and his entire family had everything they needed. Again, this is a good pattern to follow. We have a responsibility to look after those who are older and in need. Children have the first responsibility. And after that, there are others who need, uh, see, we see the need, uh, and then we're obligated to meet that need. So there's a blessed family, there's a beloved father, and thirdly, there's a bitter farewell. And we're jumping a little bit of ahead to kind of finish up talking about Joseph's family. And we're going to come back to where we leave off here at verse 12. But over in verses 29 to 31, we're called to the bedside of old Jacob. He believes that the end of his journey is near. And so he has a final, uh, some final words to say before he dies. Notice, first of all, a final petition in verse 29 of chapter 47. And the time drew nigh that Israel must die, and he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, 
Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt, but I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in the burying, their burying place. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. And he said, Swear unto me, and he swore unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. Jacob is simply asking his son not to bury him in Egypt. He wants his body taken back to Canaan. So this is the final petition that he makes just before he dies. And then there's a final present. If you skip over to chapter 50, and we won't read these verses today, but in chapter 50 and verses 1 through 13, it tells us the fulfillment of this promise that Joseph has made to his father. And as you would read about Jacob's death and the burying of his body, the funeral would make quite an impression on the inhabitants of Canaan. And it's hard sometimes when people we love and admire pass off from, uh, from the scene. We need to consider the lives they lived, the legacy they left behind. We need to honor that. And if we're blessed to have godly parents and a godly heritage, we should honor that desire that we live a good and godly life to honor them. I believe Joseph honored the legacy of his father. He carried his body home to Canaan. Many years later, when Joseph will die, he will make the same request in chapter 50, and, and we'll see that honored in, chapter, uh, in the book of Exodus. It may be that if we will honor the heritage that we've been given, others will honor the heritage that we pass down as well. You know, if we treat previous generations like they're worthless, others may treat us the same way somewhere down the way. So Joseph was a man who had his priorities in order. He loved his family and his father. He was willing to protect his heritage. It may be that the Lord has spoken to you on some level in your life. If he has, then you need to respond to him. Maybe your relationship with your family needs some work. Maybe your relationship with your parents needs some work. Maybe you need to get with your children and let them know that they're loved. You see, there's work to do in our homes today. And we're way behind, and this uh, really is a call to get, get busy dealing with the things that matter. A family reunion. Joseph had a blessed family. He had a beloved father. There was a bitter farewell. But uh, I believe he honored his father, and we see that in this, uh, in this lesson this afternoon. Let's bow in prayer.